This is Body Count, a horror movie podcast, with your hosts, Trent Scott and Graham Asher. <laughs> Everyone and welcome to Body Count, your home for all things creepy, crawly, ghouly, gory, or anything else that goes bump in the night. My name is Trent Scott, and he is Graham Ashley. Hey, yo, what's up, Trent? It is 70 degrees and sunny today, currently in Texas, where I'm broadcasting. And if you would have asked me a week ago, Trent, it was literally zero degrees a week ago. Yeah, this is the uh, this is an unusual situation. Um, <laughs> We are both in Texas, albeit not uh, not in the same zip code, but uh, we both had uh, some issues last week. So this episode is coming out a week late. So sorry to all of our listeners for that. But, uh, well, we can't really help it when there's no power, <laughs> there's no recording. Yeah, we uh, we got, if you haven't heard, an unprecedented um, – it wasn't really the snow so much as, as it was the consecutive days below freezing and well below freezing. Yes. Um, totally knocked out we were without power here for um i think three days or nearly three days uh yeah no running water so we said it's probably a good idea well we really had we didn't have the option (laughs) we didn't really have an option um so today is a vastly better day than last week was (laughs) yeah uh yeah we just literally could not record so that was that was fun uh but we are back back with a vengeance there's no getting rid of us Uh, (laughs) But so for this week, though, um, it's a bit of a change up for us. This is uh, episode number nine, I believe. And all of our previous episodes, we have looked at movies. Mm -hmm. However, our uh, last review, we did the movie Valentine starring David Boreanaz. And I thought maybe for a change of pace, it might be interesting to look at another horror genre inspired work that he's more famous for. Angel his own television show that he was the star of for five years on the WB. Yeah, Trent, I know you were a fan of the show um, when it was on. So I had never seen the show before. Of course, I knew about Angel. Um, I watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer um, when I was growing up a little bit. I didn't watch it, um, you know, week by week, but but was definitely very aware of it, was very aware that he had a show, Angel, and that he was the star. So I'm excited to go through this, and I wanted to ask you a question, Trent. Since this is a pilot. Yes, this is season one, episode one. <laughs> uh, since this is a pilot episode and I've never seen the show and I don't know how the rest of the series goes or how right. it ends, I thought it'd be fun if we did this whole thing as Ga- Graham guesses what is happening. <laughs> I, I think that sounds uh, like a blast because there's, I think, 109 more where this came from. <laughs> I think there was 110 episodes. Yes, that's okay. Yes, five five years, 110 episodes. So, Yes. We are less than 1% of the way through the story here, Graham. <laughs> yeah, so I'm excited to uh I'm excited to give my reactions as to what I think is going on because I went into this um like I said essentially blind. Um I had totally forgotten really all of his character on Buffy. Like I said it had been it's been decades since I've seen it. So <laughs> Well, luckily, there's about a nice 2-minute recap of his backstory about 8 minutes into this to the episode to kind of yeah. kind of refresh you a little bit. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So first, Trent, before we jump in, 
as always, let's hear your one sentence synopsis of what we're going to review today. I'm so glad you asked because I'm particularly <laughs> proud of this one, Graham. Yes, let's do it. Angel tells the tale of what it would be like if Earl Hickey from My Name is Earl was a vampire. <laughs> that is so great. Um, Angel is atoning <laughs> for all the wrong that he's done, right? It's just basically <laughs> Earl. Yeah, I loved My Name is Earl. Um, I love the reference there too. So yeah, shout out to Jason Lee. My Name um, is Earl, the vampire <laughs> edition. Yeah, that's really good. Um, funny enough, Trent, a little bit off topic, Jason Lee, currently a resident of Denton, Texas. Also a Scientologist. <laughs> well, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> is it though? Is it really? Please, Church of Scientology, do not come after me. That was just a joke. I wish you no ill will. Yeah. Uh, we don't have lawyers, but that wasn't any kind of uh, defamation. We're to have a special disclaimer <laughs> at the beginning of this episode. The thoughts and opinions expressed here only represent those of the host and do not represent Body Count Incorporated. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So anyway, um, before we dive fully into this episode, I, because this is kind of a unique situation, I, I think it's it makes more sense to give a little bit of a backstory of how we got to this point, right? So, okay, of course, this is a spinoff of the television show Buffy the Vampire Slayer, starring Sarah Miguel. Ha. Sarah Michelle Geller, easy for me to say. Um, but of course, that was not the origin of the Buffy franchise. As the 1992 movie, sorry, Christy Swanson came out. Yeah. The writer, uh, Joss Whedon, was not particularly happy with that uh, adaptation of his script. He thought it was too uh, comedic in tone. He didn't, he thought uh, Christy Swanson was too much of a cheerleader type. He didn't think she was, you know, she didn't embody Buffy enough. that that he uh, that he visioned when he wrote he it. He wanted a, a stronger Buffy, so uh, that's how we got the TV show, and it was a hit for I mean reasonable standards. It was on the WB, so um, it wasn't like the number one show on TV or anything because well, it wasn't on one of the big four networks. Which at the time you're talking the late 1990s, that was still a huge deal. Was oh, network yeah. television, bro? Uh, like I I saw an interview with. Um, Johnny Galecki, I think, from Big Bang Theory, he's talking about because because Big Bang was a big show on CBS. Obviously, he was on Roseanne, and they were saying he said that they that they averaged like twenty six or thirty million viewers an episode back mm -hmm. then. So yeah, just everybody was on the Big Four. There was obviously no Netflix, no streaming, no other um, really competition. So if you were on one of the big networks, um, yeah, it was difficult to get on. Like you said, the WB or the CW um, was you know. Small potatoes compared to this. Yes. Uh, for context, at present day, it's not unheard of for network TV shows to have less than two million viewers. But and and at be this like time and be yeah. carried on. For yes, <laughs> but at the time, you know, over twenty years ago, um, even for a small network like the WB, Buffy would have five five and a half million viewers, which today would make it a gigantic hit. But back then, it was kind of a cult hit. Yeah, for sure. But anyway, the show was successful enough for the WB that they decided to spin it off, and they chose to revolve the spinoff around the character of Angel. Angel is a vampire portrayed by David Boreanaz. Spoiler. Is, <laughs> 244 years old. He was born in Ireland. Um, he got turned into a vampire at the age of 27, so he is eternally 27. Yeah, so that was one of the questions that I had, and I'll still bring it up, but um, yeah, he definitely mentions that he's that he's you know I know how the whole vampire thing works, right? They're they're eternal. 
Um, they lived through centuries and centuries. Um, so I definitely got that vibe from him. Did not know that backstory. So very cool to know that. Yes. So as far as this episode goes, you know, I normally like to drop an audio clip in uh, from each of the programs that we're reviewing. Well, in this case, we're going to start with an audio drop because we start with a nice opening monologue that explains why Angel has left Sunnydale and has moved to Los Angeles. So let's hear it from Angel himself. Los Angeles. You see it at night and it shines. A beacon. People are drawn to it. People and other things come for all sorts of reasons. My reason? No surprise there. It started with a girl. So there you go. That is Angel explaining why he moved to L.A., uh, why he's moved away from the Hellmouth, and why he has left the love of his life, Buffy Summers, behind. Yeah, um, I liked the, the small recap there. Um, you know, at the beginning, it gave me a little bit of idea of, okay, he's this is new. He's new in town to L.A., and he's leaving behind. Um, obviously, somebody that he cares about. So the show proper, after the opening monologue, opens with Angel just sitting at a bar, absolutely hammered. I mean, he is completely sloshed. Yeah, he's slouched over at his bar seat. He's talking to the guy next to him, being like, yeah, I like this girl. I left. Um, she had the best hair, kind of like you. And then we pan to the guy, and he's bald. <laughs> so, yeah, so it was uh, very funny that he's talking to a big, bald man, telling him, your hair reminds me of Buffy. <laughs> However, we see Angel notices the group of folks behind him. They're playing pool. There's a few guys and a couple of girls. And uh, they get ready to leave the bar. And Angel follows them out. He, he senses something's going on here. Yeah, and when he gets up, like, as he starts walking, he's, like, instantly not drunk. Yes, <laughs> immediately. You can see this has just been a charade. He is yeah. completely sober. Which is pretty cool. Yes. So he follows the group outside. And I had I have to ask what your reaction here was because we see for the first time here these two guys morph their face and we find out that they are in fact vampires. Yeah, their faces get all scary looking, which at the time I'm guessing is a clear giveaway that they're vampires. Um, but like, so do they have a? They have the ability to look normal, but then they can then when they need to feed, they morph, in, morph into vampires or does it give them superhuman strength? I'm like, when when is the opportunity known where they do that to their faces? <laughs> yes, all of the above. They do have super superhuman strength and they can uh, morph into like their feeding face, if you want to call that at will. OK, <laughs> OK. Although um, it can also be for like if you like, like, say, like you were to like walk up and punch them. Uh, they would turn automatically. It's like a... Uh, so like adrenaline or something, right? Yeah, adrenaline does it, basically. And we'll, we'll actually get to how that specifically affects Angel here in a little bit. Okay, cool. But uh, so so the three guys, they all turn into vampires, and then uh, they get in a fist fight with Angel, and we get this awesome shot that actually would live on in the opening credits of the show, I think until the very last episode, where <laughs> Angel, you just see... Down on his side, like Wolverine, two stakes drop out of his trench coat and yeah. he stakes both of them simultaneously. Ring that bell for one and two. Boom. Body count one and two. Angel slays the V. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I thought that was a super cool shot. I mean, so then what's going through my head 
at this exact moment, again, not remembering that Angel was a vampire, <laughs> I was like, oh, so he's a vampire slayer. Badass. <laughs> nope, because you see, there's a third vampire in the group. They attack. Angel busts out his mean face also at this point. Yeah. And uh, they get in a fight. Angel throws the third vampire on top of the hood of a car. And then he gets a stake to boot. Ring that bell again. That's number three real quick. Real quick. Yeah. Should have gone home, buddy. Body count number three. So from there, we get our opening credit sequence. Uh, not much to really talk about there. It's just, you know, your generic rock song with your opening credits here. Little 90s, uh, 90s vibes for sure. I like it. Yes. So from there, Angel returns to... Uh, his home office, as it were, which is like this amazing, like a uh, complex type deal where he's yeah. got like a old school elevator with like the with, like chain link. It's opening. like an open lift. Yeah. Yeah. That takes him to like his underground lair. But he's also got like a like an office upstairs. It's a pretty cool setup. Yeah. So what I'm thinking here is like, OK, it's it's a huge structure. Right. Um, so I'm like, OK, it looks abandoned. So this is his crib. Um does he go down there because there's no light is what I'm thinking to myself. Like, this is pretty cool. Yes. And that is actually correct. Yes. He lives underground to avoid the sunlight because uh, I guess we should establish the rules for vampires here. Uh, how it, how it works. This is kind of important. Totally. So uh, basic stuff, sunlight burns them. Uh, that would come into play uh, at the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. So that is, so vampires are immortal except there are a couple of ways to kill them. One, the classic wooden stake through the heart, which we saw three times in our opening scene. You could burn to death in the sunlight. Um, I'm trying to, I think that might be it. I think those are the three. I know there's another couple of things that I noticed um, that they mentioned, like uh, they don't have a reflection in the mirror. Yeah, no reflection in the mirror, standard stuff. Yeah, and then the standard, I think you have to be invited in. Yes, you have to be invited in in order to enter a house. Okay. Although... They do kind of break. I gotta admit, they do kind of break that rule uh, when Angel busts into Russell's house later. But we'll, yeah, yeah, we'll yeah. give him the benefit of the doubt. Um, also, anything about garlic? Anything like that? You know, I am trying to remember if garlic ever came up. I I don't recall that ever being an issue. Um, so I can't say one way or the other on that. But yeah, those are the standard. Yeah. Um, you know, standard vampire, vampire rules. Stuff. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Oh, yeah. and how to become a vampire. This is also important. Uh, so vampires have a couple of options they can either straight up eat you where they suck your blood dry and that'll just kill you as a human however in order to turn someone they will suck your blood and then you will suck theirs in return and that's how you get turned and that is what happened to angel um uh, and that's how angel was turned okay that's good to know yeah for sure that's um i'm not sure if that's standard vampire stuff i know that in a number of vampire shows have you ever seen what we do in the shadows uh no i am not familiar with that <laughs> okay you gotta watch that because it's like a comedy vampire show but yeah i think that's kind of similar to that that uh they have to bite the person not completely drain them and then yeah give them their own blood so pretty cool so angel as it's pretty late uh, it's getting towards sunlight so angel gotta hit the old hay so he heads downstairs and waiting for him is a mysterious figure named doyle yeah we see doyle here yeah. he's donning a Irish accent seems like a cool dude. Yeah. And Doyle is a stranger to Angel. However, he tells him the powers that be sent me the mysterious powers that be. Yeah, he's he's definitely um, caught off guard. He doesn't know who this guy is. He he also mentions you don't smell human. So I guess they have a heightened sense of smell as well. Yes. 
And Doyle reveals he is, in fact, half human. However, he happens to sneeze. And we find out he is also half demon. Okay, so I did not know that he was half demon. So when he sneezes... I'm like, he looks all spiky and weird and stuff. I'm like, are you a gargoyle? <laughs> like, <laughs> He's half demon. He has half human on his mother's side, and he is half demon. <laughs> okay, well, I don't know the rules about the demons yet, other than um, a little bit later we get to something that I'll mention. And it is at this point where Doyle gives viewers like Graham a quick refresher on Angel's backstory. So Angel... 27 when he was turned he is now 244 years old and for a long time angel was the meanest vampire of them all he killed for fun he didn't he didn't turn he just killed for the hunt in fact other vampires were scared of him but then angel killed the wrong girl and her gypsy family cursed him by restoring his human soul because you see vampires have no soul uh, so there's no right or wrong. They are, you know, completely selfish creatures. But now Angel is cursed to live eternally, craving human blood while also having a soul. Yeah, quite the paradox for Angel there. Um, I was thanks Doyle for the recap, bro. Um, <laughs> I don't know how you know everything about him, but that was pretty cool. I think we learned that here in a bit. So um, once Angel gets his soul back, he turns good. He eventually meets Buffy, falls in love. And then the other part of the curse kicks in. And this is what I was alluding to earlier, because you see the kicker of the gypsy's curse was that if angel were to ever experience a single moment of perfect happiness, he would instantly lose his soul again and become a vampire, an evil vampire once again. And that is exactly what happens upon his first time making love to Buffy. He climaxes and he turns bad. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, in the like, in the little flash it shows Trent. Sorry. Um, yeah, that they're you know getting with it, and it, it, does it say that he like bites her or tries to bite her or something? Or so that- at that point they become rivals again. He becomes like the big bad of. See, that that was one of the things that Buffy had. It was seven seasons. Basically, every season had one main villain, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second season, Angel became the big bad. But eventually, his soul was restored once again. Uh, the curse was reapplied. But that meant he realized he can never truly be happy with Buffy because if he ever experienced that moment of perfect happiness again, he would turn evil once more. So he made the decision to leave Sunnydale and move to Los Angeles. Yeah, I feel bad for you, Angel. Um can't ever find that happiness that everybody's chasing so (laughs) and you never die so you're just like miserable (laughs) yeah never die never age um but all this to say doyle is coming to angel with an offer because you see doyle has visions of people in need and doyle wants angel to use these visions to help these people who are in need yeah, seems like a cool concept. Um, that's where my wheels start turning, and it's like, okay, that's how they're going to go uh, episode by episode, um, find a new uh, person to save, things like that. So at this point, Doyle reveals his first vision. It is of a blonde woman named Tina. So Angel goes to seek her out. Yeah, and at this point, I'm like, is Tina going to be in the show forever? <laughs> so. Uh... <laughs> Uh, she lasts about 20 minutes <laughs> with commercials. Um, so anyway, so Angel heads to the coffee spot where Tina is a waitress. He 
awkwardly tries to flirt with her. Um, she eventually tells him, okay, I get off at 10. You can pick me up then. And so she comes outside and we think she's about to get an angel's car and boom, she pulls out the pepper spray. It says Russell must have sent you. <laughs> yeah. So first of all, Angel's at the coffee shop and he's like casually drinking coffee. Is he faking drinking coffee? I mean, he can he can have caffeine. It's so not he can. Gonna, uh, okay. So I didn't know if it was one of those things where he can, because he didn't have anything in his fridge. Right. Um, so like he can't eat anything but blood, but he can like drink well, coffee. No, so he he has to have blood to live. Blood is like his. It's like you could live without. You know, I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying to figure. Out. Blood is basically water to him. Like you can, okay. you can have other stuff, but you need water to survive. So he needs blood to survive. Okay, thanks for clearing that up. Because I'm like, um, yeah, there's other instances where they can't even vampires can't even like eat anything or drink anything because it'll like make them sick or something. Also, before we go any further, I just put <laughs> this out there. It's been about 10 years since I have watched this show. So I'm a little rusty on details. And I know there's a very <laughs> passionate fan base in the Buffyverse. So if I get any of the details wrong, please forgive me. Let us know. Hit Graham up on the, on the Instagram. Tell him how big of a moron we are. And we'll correct it on the next episode. Yeah, just blame Trent because I'm going in here blind. But, <laughs> but I'm enjoying it so far, yeah. So anyway, so, Rus- so Angel's like, who's Russell? I don't know any Russell. And she eventually realizes Angel's telling the truth. So at this point, she agrees to let Angel take her to a Hollywood party because you see, Tina is an inspiring actress. Yeah, like 80% of the people in that town, right? <laughs> so they go to the to the party and who should be there but none other than Cordelia Chase. Now, Graham, you're probably not familiar with Cordelia, but that was the character played by Charisma Carpenter who was the only other character to move from the main series, Buffy the Vampire Slayer to Angel, along with David Boreanaz at the start of the show. Yeah, was not aware of uh, Cordelia, but um, she's cute. She's bubbly. I like her. I like Charisma Carpenter, so I'm in, man. And we will have much more to discuss about Charisma Carpenter later, so hold that thought. But the character of Cordelia Chase was basically the snobby rich girl and she eventually became uh, somewhat, fr- I, I mean, she, she was never really a, f- so they called Buffy's group of friends, the Scooby gang. She was never oh. really a fully formed member of the Scooby gang, but she was at least friendly with them. And she did uh, date Buffy's uh, male friend Xander for a while. Um, although that ended poorly when <laughs> Xander hooked up with Willow, the character played by Allison Hannigan. Allison Hannigan. Yeah. Um, yeah, so in my notes, I'm like, I'm assuming she was on Buffy and was like a high school student or something. That is correct. She was the, she was basically <laughs> the snobby rich girl. Yes, got it. So Cordelia, <laughs> Cordelia spots Angel and goes to talk to him, and <laughs> she asks him, "Are you still nah? like?" And makes, yeah. <laughs> makes a scary face, and Angel's yeah. like, "Yeah, that's eternal." <laughs> yeah, I thought she was funny. I liked her from the beginning. So she's uh, not too bright, but I like not her. at all. <laughs> and so oh, it's also worth noting that Angel is talking or that uh, Cordelia, I should say, is talking to a gr- some group of people like, oh, they wanted me to do a third audition, but I'm too big for that. Like she's very much playing up how successful of an actress she is. Yeah, totally. But anyway, back to Tina, uh, Tina and Angel start to uh, make their way out when all of a sudden 
a group of people uh, grab Tina. Uh, they take off with her and they throw Angel in the elevator. So uh, Angel knocks out the two dudes that grabbed him in the elevator. They head down to the parking garage where Angel basically starts a game of chicken and he wins. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I say. Um, yeah, they play chicken. Angel wins and they crash. Um, those two dudes didn't know who they were messing with the, in the elevator either because, yeah, the elevator opens like several moments later or a few moments later and they're just like totally out. So yes. I didn't put body count. I just assumed he was... Yeah, no, they're still alive. Angel wouldn't have killed them. Okay, so we know that Angel... He only kills vampires. Yeah, basically. Or, or basically or really bad guys. Demons, vampires, anything evil. Okay, I have, a, I have a theory about a werewolf later, so... <laughs> <laughs> there are werewolves in this universe, I should say. Uh, Seth... Oh, what's his name? Uh, Seth Green. Seth Green portrayed yeah. uh, a werewolf on Buffy. All right, that's cool. Yeah, he was like Team Wolf, right? <laughs> yeah, basically. Um... But so anyway, yeah. so Angel wins the game of chicken, the villains wreck, and he saves Tina. Yeah, just from beats there, their A. Uh, from there, we cut to Cordelia's apartment, and we find out she might have been exaggerating a little bit on how well she was doing. Yeah, dude, I'm like, we hear Cordelia's depressing answering machine, and it appears that she isn't booking roles left and right after all. In fact... The, the voicemail that we hear on, or I, I don't even know if you'd even call, call it a voicemail back then, but the <laughs> machine, uh, the, the message left on her machine is from her agent who tells her, you know what? Don't even bother coming to the auditions. The networks say they've seen enough of you already. Yeah, I was like, not great. girl, not good for you. So then uh, we go back to Angel and Tina. They make their way to Angel's place. They work their way downstairs. And Tina's like, this is the part where you comfort me, right? I mean, you've earned it after all. Yeah, innuendo here. I'm like, oh man, what has she been through already in this town? <laughs> but Angel's not that kind of guy. So he's like, no, no, I just want to give you uh, a place to sleep. And he asks her, you know, like, what's going on? And she's, and he's like, well, who's Russell? And she starts describing Russell. And she says, Russell likes pain. He uses pain as a weapon. Yeah, so here I'm like, so do you have an urge to eat this girl or not, Angel? Is it a constant, like, th- like... I mean, he, he has an urge, but he can he can fight the urge. He can fight the urge really well. Yeah, that's just my thoughts. It's like, I don't know how hard it is for him to, like, not want to eat this chick. Because um, she's just like, I mean, it'd be easy. <laughs> Very easy. Uh, and Tina goes on to reveal that her friend, Denise, who was also friends with Russell, has gone missing. And she's sure something bad has happened. So Tina goes to sleep. Angel heads to the L.A. Public Library to do some 1999 Googling. Yeah, I love it, dude. So he's this cracked me up so much. He's literally using three computers and like sliding from each one instead of using one computer with three screens. You know what I mean? Like each one has like its own keyboard and its own mouse. It's it is. And I mean, we're talking to like. I mean, you really just have to check it out to see the late '90s computers and actions. It's a it's a thing of beauty compared to our modern standards. Oh yeah, but, I mean, uh, is there is there pinball on that that computer oh at God. that point? Mac Brickout. <laughs> um, so anyway, so Angel returns home when it's almost morning after his googling and <laughs> reveals to Tina, "Hey, I'm sorry to tell you, but I think your friend Tina has in fact been murdered." Um, and it is at this point where Tina notices 
a slip of paper. It was the paper that Doyle gave Angel with her name on it when he had the vision. And so she's like, Russell sent you. I knew it. So she freaks out. She leaves because she thinks this has all been some mental game. All because Angel couldn't put away a post-it note. <laughs> Man, come on, Angel. Uh, so, yeah, she, she spots the the slip of paper with her name on it. She runs off. But before she leaves, okay, she runs as she runs out, his arm bursts into flame, right? Yes, they do show a quick shot of Angel briefly stepping into the sunlight and getting burned by the uh, by the sun. This is to set up the finale or the, the climax of this episode, I should say. Yeah, so I was like, I, I guess I didn't I didn't notice that I didn't see the, the the ray of sunlight or the beam of sunlight clear enough when I was watching. So I was like, why the heck did he just burst into flames? <laughs> like, I'm like, was there just a large amount of friction from his hand and her shirt? No, it was, um, was in fact a ray of sunlight. Yeah. Just I, peeking through the blinds. Yeah. So, okay. Good deal. So from there, Tina makes her way home and who should be there but Russell. This is our first chance to meet Russell and things do not go well for Tina. Uh, Russell tells her, hey, hey, I'm here to help you. I'll give you whatever you want. Just tell me what you want. And she says, I want to go home. And he says, no problem. And he brings her in and we see the face turn and Russell is a vampire and he kills her. He does not turn her. He kills her. Ring that bell for number four. Tina gets got. Yeah. Body count number four. Tina vampired. Should have stayed with Angel Tina. Um, he was he was your safety valve. So yeah, I was I was shocked. I tell you to to learn that Russell uh, was a vampire. And now my my thoughts here are: Is Russell the big bad of the show? So I'm like, is he like the big bad, or is he just the bad guy of the episode? I don't have answers yet, but that was in my notes. Nice. So from there, Angel discovers Tina's body. Uh, we see him look, standing on a building across the street watching. Uh, police or paramedics or whoever like uh, take her body away. Very dark night. Yes. (laughs) So he and Doyle regroup and they decide they're going to get Russell. Yeah, you got to make a plan to avenge her and um, Doyle doesn't really want anything to do with going. He's just like, I just have the visions, bro. Yeah, he's like, I'm not much of a fighter. He said, I'm a little rusty on the fighting part. So Angel's like, now you're coming. So, boom. But from there, we see Russell the next day at his lawyer's office at Wolfram and Hart. And importantly, we see for the first time, Christian Kane, the actor portraying the role of Lindsay. I I don't think he was even named in this episode, but he would actually go on to have a very important role. He was never actually a full-time cast member. He had a recurring role throughout the five seasons. Um, But I mean, he was all the way there until the finale. Uh, Actually, he dies in the finale. Spoiler alert. Um, spoilers but he was a he was a fan favorite character um he was a villain for most of the show's run and then eventually turns good guy only for angel to kill him in the end yikes yeah so i gotta backtrack here trent i want to know if you caught this so he's he's talking with um russell's talking with the lawyer um and he's like yeah, so we have an alibi for you. And also, they try to pit it on a black guy. <laughs> Did you hear that? I mean, <laughs> law of averages, man. The numbers are it in is, your favor. It is the 90s. Um, so, yikes. I was like, that's that's insensitive. <laughs> I mean, it is what it is. 
Joss Whedon would do a lot worse things, as we'll talk about later. But anyway, right. this whole time, Russell is watching a videotape of the party the night before, the one that Tina was at, and he spots Cordelia. And he's like, I want to eat her. <laughs> yeah, basically, just like, I want to eat her. I want something to eat. So uh, Russell has Lindsay set up a meeting between he and Cordelia. So meanwhile, or I should say later on that night, Angel uh, tracks Russell's place down and uh, he, he breaks in. Doyle hangs out at the front gate at the car. So we cut inside the house and Cordelia is there and she starts talking to Russell. And then she looks around and she's like, hey, there's no mirrors around here. You're a vampire. He's like, no, I'm not. (laughs) Yes, you are. No, I'm not. (laughs) And then eventually he does, in fact, confess he is a vampire. It was uh, quite the funny scene. Yeah, dude, totally had me laughing uh, in stitches there. She's she's super funny. I like Cordelia. I like her her style. I do want to mention here. So earlier when they're getting ready to go. Doyle's like, it looks like you're getting through a war. And he's like, yeah, I've been, I've been in 14 of them. So I wanted to say, Trent, Angel is a veteran. Let's salute him for his service. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's, that's funny. So um, anyway, uh, it is at this point that Angel burst into the room. He does not know Cordelia is there. So this is a big surprise for him. Another, uh, another high school reunion, right? Yes, very much so. so. Was Angel in high school? with them or was he like a senior or like because he seems older no no no. remember angel is a 244 year old vampire he's been a vampire no no no, i know but like is he playing uh how does how does he get to know the crew so he's the bad guy and then he becomes the lover okay (laughs) sorry i know i'm derailing it but i just need an explanation so the series of buffy is set in a town called sunnydale sunnydale sits on what is known as a hell mouth basically it's a gateway to hell so Ah. All kinds of bad stuff happens in Sunnydale because it's so close to hell. So vampires run rampant, demons run rampant. And uh, so Angel, being a good guy now, decides to set up shop at Sunnydale and help fight the evil. And that's when Buffy Summers, the vampire slayer, happens to come along. You see, every generation, there's a slayer. And the slayers are naturally drawn to Hellmouse as well. So that's how Buffy ended up there. And so eventually fighting crime, they crossed the same paths and fell in love. All right. Thank you for that explanation. Um, yeah, it makes a lot more sense now. So Angel and Russell get into a big fight and Angel is able to uh, take Cordelia and save the day and they get out. However, he does not actually get to kill Russell. So uh, missed opportunity there. Yeah, and so this is where Doyle's like out there. He hears some gunshots and he starts to bail because he's a coward, I guess. But then he turns around and he tries to hit the iron gate. Yes, and he tries, to, he tries to, 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 to ram his car through the gate and <laughs> bang, nothing happens. He's like, oh, that's a good gate. And then he does like a morph move. So like this is where I'm like, is he a shapeshifter or something? But you already confirmed he's a demon. So demons can can like transport or do a morph or something? Like what is that? Uh, again, it's been about a decade, so I'm a little rusty. <laughs> but I, 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 I think uh, since he's half human, he, he can just kind of like a vampire. He can change back and forth at will. Okay. But anyway, uh, we cut to the next day, and we don't really get much explanation here because it is 
broad daylight. It is perfectly sunny outside. Yes. But somehow, Angel has made his way to Wolfram and Hart, the law office, uh, where Russell is at, in a dark uh, conference room, meeting with his lawyers, including Lindsay from earlier. And so we don't know how Angel got there. We never really get an explanation for that. But uh, they kind of, uh, Angel just busts into the meeting. They start talking smack to each other. And you can see Angel has a plan because he casually puts his foot on Russell's chair. Russell stays seated the whole time they're jawing back and forth. And uh, Angel asks Russell, can you fly? And with that, he kicks (laughs) Russell's chair. Russell goes sailing through the glass window out into the sunlight. He burns up and we see the empty chair hitting the ground below. Ring that bell. That's number five. Yes, body count number five, Russell Fireball. So from there, Angel casually leaves Wolfram and Hart. Uh, nothing happens to him. He makes his way back home. And Again, uh, he gets through the, no idea the sunlight. <laughs> no idea how. Goes to um, the sewer, I guess. Uh, anyway, he's sitting on his bed. We see him pick up the phone. He calls someone. We hear a female's voice on the other end say, hello, hello. It is, in fact, Buffy. He does not... Uh, respond and he just hangs up and then he and Doyle hear some noise upstairs they go up there to check it out and Cordelia is cleaning up the office and suggests they start a business and that they charge people for their services because (laughs) a girl's got to have a living after all yeah she got to eat man Uh, not humans though (laughs) (laughs) Um, and then we get one final shot of Angel standing on a building top overlooking the city of Los Angeles and credits roll. Yes, that is Angel, the pilot name. And you said City of. It's not City of Angels. Yes, it's mislabeled on Hulu for some reason. Uh, but it is the, the proper name for the episode is City of. Yeah, so now my wheels are turning like, okay. Um, if this gets picked up, which it already did, <laughs> since this is the past. Yeah, that uh, Cordelia is now part of their group. She's going to be like the secretary or yes, correspondent or... Um, I don't know, operator. I don't know what she's going to be, but she's a part of the group. Yes. Um, so a couple of things like we talked about, and and I was hoping this would be the case. You kind of fell for both traps that you thought Tina and Russell were both going to be very important characters going forward. I did. And neither one of them made it out of the episode alive. <laughs> yeah, they didn't. Um, so, so here's my first reaction of the show. Okay. So I, I definitely thought it was a cool TV show. So, and I knew this was on a while. Um, you know, I know Buffy obviously haven't seen it in a long time. Um, you know, a lot of spinoffs, Trent, do not work. You look at Joey from Friends. Um, that's the only one I can think of at the top of my head. But this one was successful. And I'm not sure if it was even more liked than the original, but I know it was um, very popular. So um, kudos to them on getting a spinoff that was that was well-received. Um, I'm not typically somebody who likes my TV shows to kind of play out like a mini movie where each episode you meet somebody, uh, they stumble onto something and then there's a bad guy. Uh, you defeat him at the end, rinse and repeat. And you know, that's kind of the, 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 how the thing goes, the law and order types where, you know, everything is about one crime or something like that. But I really enjoyed the show. Um, yeah, I liked it. Now, um, we should talk about the cast a little bit here. Um, obviously, David Boreanaz is the star of the show. Um, the whole show centers around him. Um, and we kind of talked about this last week. 
he has had an absolutely extraordinary run on television where yeah. he goes straight from Buffy the Vampire Slayer into Angel. From Angel, he goes straight into Bones, which lasted for 12 years. And yeah. then from Bones, he goes straight into SEAL Team, which is currently in its fourth season. This man has been on television every year since 1997. <laughs> it is almost impossible for that to happen. I mean, you talk about like, I mean, some of the biggest television shows, stars of all time, they're not Hell able yeah. to, to, to get a second show to get off the, I mean. Matthew Perry, it, we're back to friends, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, Matthew Perry has had so many shows fail. Studio 60, Go On, The Odd Couple. He just can't get anything to last. Um, Bill Cosby in the 80s was the biggest star in the world on TV. And then he Cosby, did another Cosby. Yeah. didn't take off. But somehow, David Boreanaz, of all people, has had four straight shows make it, which is just astonishing. Yeah, um, so this is my first bloody bit here, Trent. So, do you know what his breakthrough role is, uh, other than Buffy? But like his, his like first TV role or whatever. Hmm, not sure. All right, so I'm going to tell you. So his breakthrough role was on the 1993 episode of Married with Children, where he played one of oh, Kelly Bundy's I many that. boyfriends. I've seen that before. Yes, he <laughs> dated Kelly Bundy. I remember that. Yeah, so that was in 93, um, and like you said, he's basically been on TV ever since. Um, Buffy, you know, a couple years later, but like you said, just what, a, what an incredible run. You're exactly right. Like, name any television star there is. I mean, yeah, they, you just can't, very few of them, and uh, Steph, my wife, and I talk about this whenever somebody has a successful show and then gets another su- successful show. I mentioned Johnny Galecki earlier. Yeah. Like, the chances of him having, like, Roseanne, but then like 20 years later or something, then getting on another hit show, that was pretty yeah. um, out of the ordinary. Uh, Allison Hannigan, who's in this on yeah. Buffy and then How I Met Your Mother, yeah. very um, unlikely for somebody to be on two hit shows in a career, let yeah. alone four shows consecutively. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. It's like, <laughs> even with those examples, like Allison had, like there was like a four or five year break between one to the other. He has gone from show to show to show to show straight through. Yeah. Well, and all of them made it. None of them failed. It's extraordinary. Yeah, good good job to his uh his agent, or his manager or just him himself, I, I mean, you know what I mean? <laughs> but the Buffy pilot aired in in 1997. N- next year will be 20 uh, assuming SEAL team makes it another year. That will be 25 straight years that he has been on television. That yeah. will never ever happen again. That's ever. crazy. I wonder I know that there's, you know, they consider like a soap opera star or like like daily soap operas that are right. that are on for like 20 something years you've got those those guys um but but a prime yeah, to be on a primetime show yeah. yeah and jumping from network it's not like like he just found one network that absolutely loved him he's jumped <laughs> from network to network yeah and this isn't animation either like the simpsons you know what yeah, I mean? no, like, this is this is but uh um, live action yeah so so needless to say there, there's something about boreanaz that just clicks uh as as a television actor uh I think we probably spent a little too much time on that, but it's just mind-boggling. <laughs> um, and then, like I said, the only other act, well, actress in this case that came from the original Buffy series over to Angel was Charisma Carpenter. Um, not as big of a star, really hasn't done a whole lot since then. She was in the uh, Expendables, the original one. Um, I think she played Jason Statham's girlfriend. Oh, um, nice. Yeah, I'm looking at credits here. Not a whole lot since um, 
Yeah, since she was on a few episodes of Veronica Mars. Um, but yeah, I mean, I really liked her in this. I thought she was she was fun. I think she totally, she, her and uh, we'll talk about um, Glenn Quinn character or Alan Doyle. Yeah, um, they're definitely bringing the comedic relief for this. Yes. So, uh, which is much needed because Angel's very brooding. Angel's and very, very serious. Yes. Yeah. So, um, so you already mentioned him, Glenn Quinn, in the role of Doyle, the demon who gets visions of those in need. Now, it is worth noting that this was originally going to be the the, the, the three piece ensemble that carried the show. However, after just nine episodes, the decision was made that it just wasn't working, and so. Despite him being one of the three top build actors on the show, and I, this is actually a pretty small cast. I mean, most shows have, yeah, you know, like Friends, five, six, seven, six of them. Yeah. You know, Seinfeld. You had, I, you know, the, the main four, but then you also had the side characters with yeah. like Newman and all of them. So having a cast of just three actors is pretty small, and they decide one third of that equation wasn't working, and so they kill him. In episode nine, he sacrifices himself, and just like that, he's gone. Yeah, and I have a sad bloody bit here. Um, Glenn Quinn, the actor that played uh, Doyle, sadly passed away in 2002 at the age of 32, uh, losing his battle with addiction. So RIP to Glenn Quinn there. And I believe that was one of the reasons he wound up being fired from the show, was he was having those issues. Um but Which is sad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very, very much sad. And it's interesting too because I thought he was actually—I mean, like we said—he oh, he lasted great. nine episodes, and he seemed great to me. So the fact that he only lasted nine episodes, despite being great on screen, tells you how much of an issue he must have been off screen. Yeah, he was really good. So, um, so yeah, didn't know he was only on for nine episodes. So uh, yes, that was new to me. But, but yeah. Um, I thought he did a great job. So that's just too bad that they had to replace him. So do you want to, do we, is it worth talking about who they replaced him with or? or since yes. This is- so, so they replaced him and, and it's interesting because the character he was replaced by came from the mother series, Buffy the Vampire Slayer portrayed by the character, uh, by the actor, Alex Inisoff, who, by the way, married Allison Hannigan. They met on yeah. the set of Buffy uh, and the, the character of Wesley Wyndham Price. He is, uh, for those of you who saw the original Buffy, uh, he, he's like a librarian type, kind of like uh, Giles, who was like the main librarian guy. This is like a secondary character. So they take him after just nine episodes on Buffy. They slide him over starting in episode 10, and he rounds out the crew for the rest of the first season. So does he, is he a demon too, or is he just a no, human? No, he is human. Okay, interesting. And I, I should say, if I recall, if I recall correctly... And I hope I don't get this detail wrong. I believe that Cordelia winds up taking over the visions. I believe that Doyle, I'm trying to remember the exact details, but I believe Doyle passed the visions on to Cordelia, which frankly gave her more to do. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, you know, they, they got to come from somewhere. So I get it. Um. So Graham, since Russell didn't make it out of the first episode, what do you th- what do you think the future of the series hold? Like, what do you think happened next? Okay, so I have here in my notes that um, yeah, I was surprised that Russell got killed because you know his character is like this super wealthy. He has Russell Winter Enterprises, seems to have like a a great network going. So I had assumed he's going to be the big bad uh, that Angel's going to be trying to fight for 
the entirety. When he died, that switched over to Wolfman and Hart, and I'm guessing maybe he's a werewolf because of Wolfman. I'm just guessing. So, uh, Wolfram. Or does that mean that they 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 defend werewolves and vampires? I don't know. Wolfman and Hart just seemed like an interesting choice of a name for a law firm to me. Um, so Wolfram and Hart do essentially take over the role as the big bad. Angel is routinely getting into conflict with their clients. Um, so unlike Buffy, which basically had like one big bad per season, Angel had this overarching big bad in uh, Wolfram and Hart, the law firm. And I should say, eventually takes over Wolfram and Hart and tries to turn it good. Okay. So is the, what's his name here? Sorry, Lindsay. Yes. Is he just a human man? Yes. He's a lawyer for Wolfram and Hart. All right. Dang it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh, I guess this is another point, important point to detail is most human, despite all of the stuff going on with vampires and demons and whatnot, most humans are oblivious to them being out there. Um, But Lindsay in his role as a lawyer for Wolfram and Hart is a human fully aware of the evil out there and actively working with it. Yeah, I mean, he's he's got to make his money, right? <laughs> so I, I think at this point, it is time to talk about uh, the series creator, Joss Whedon. Uh, Joss Whedon um, created this show, created Buffy the Vampire Slayer, created the beloved series Firefly, yep. uh, also created the Eliza Dushku show uh, Dollhouse, which I particularly like. That only lasted two seasons. But... Uh, all, I mean, really all four of the TV shows he's created were very much critically acclaimed, had cult followings. And then he would go on to become the director of the first Avengers movie. Yes. Um, which became just an absolute global phenomenon. Yeah. And dude, the first Avengers movie, I mean, at the time, it really doesn't get much bigger than that, yeah. does it? Like you're you're bringing together all the standalone Marvel franchises for the first time. And we're going to see if that can work. Obviously, we know now, and you and I are both big Marvel fans, um, that that worked very well. And um, yeah, what a huge deal for him to be the yes. uh, director of the first Avengers film. And we should say people were skeptical at the time. Like, why are you bringing a TV guy in to direct the biggest movie in the world? And, frankly, and I think he gets a writing credit on that as well. He, he does. Uh, and he would also direct the second Avengers movie as well, Avengers Age of Ultron. Which and isn't it, as good. <laughs> it's not as good. Um, apparently, there were a lot of creative differences. He wanted to do certain things that Marvel's like, no, we're, you're going to do it our way. And that led to him passing the reins to the Russo brothers, who took over the franchise from that point. And they did great. They did. So good. They took so the ball good. and ran with it. And at that point, uh, Joss Whedon was given the reins to the DC universe because DC were trying to counteract their Marvel compatriots, their rivals who were quite frankly, kicking their asses. Yeah. Uh, their movies were way more successful. So DC turned to Joss Whedon to take over shooting justice league, which uh, yeah. lost its director midway through because uh, Zack Snyder's, I don't remember if it was a son or a daughter, but his child committed suicide. So Snyder stepped away from the film for personal reasons and Whedon took over 
And it is at this point where the story takes a turn, because up to this point, <laughs> Joss Whedon has been a very beloved figure throughout Hollywood. Yes, um, this is very famous now and, and infamously directs Justice League. It was not well received. Um, and did not the, do well financially either. No, and the Zack, the Zack Snyder cuts coming out on HBO Max here in March, which I'm excited to watch. Um, so yeah, tell us a little bit more about uh, some of the things going around about Joss Whedon, because before that, I had never heard anything. I knew that, that yeah, he had creative differences on um, Avengers 2, and, and they were like, okay, you know, thank you for your service. But it seems like there's a lot of stuff coming out about him recently so, that he's difficult to work with or maybe even downright like hostile or dare I say racist. I don't know. What, what do yes. you got here? So Ray Fisher, the actor, uh, we should say Ray Fisher is a black man, uh, portrays the character of Cyborg in Justice League. And Ray Fisher um, eventually exited the DC franchise after uh after uh justice league despite having you know at one point they were planning a cyborg solo film not no no one was really sure what was going on and then ray fisher came out and uh made some allegations of misconduct against joss whedon and uh warner brothers conducted an internal investigation they said that they disciplined whedon internally they've never revealed what the discipline was uh but at the same time they also said that they weren't able to substantiate much of Fisher's claims, which is kind of interesting because why on one hand, would you admit to disciplining Whedon? And then on the other hand saying, well, we didn't really find anything. So they're already kind of starting from an odd point. Yeah. And um, just a background on Ray Fisher. I mean, he's has very few acting credits. He's a stage actor. So for him to go out like this and um, put his career on the line to me says a lot um, about maybe his claims. Again, I don't want to get into whether Joss Whedon actually did anything. I'm going to side on the, you know, you don't never want to go against the, the, the victim here, but also you, you want to defend people that may be wrongly accused. So I'm, I'm staying neutral here, but he's essentially like putting his career completely out there. And so for, I mean, this goes back to 2017. This is four years ago at this point. And for essentially four years, no one really came out and publicly defended Ray Fisher until just a couple of weeks ago. And this was kind of interesting because we had already announced we were going to do this show when all of a sudden the show made news because Charisma Carpenter came out with her own stories of Joss Whedon. And she released a lengthy statement on her Twitter. Uh, I'm going to read part of it here because I think it's important. Yeah, let's, let's hear it, man. So this is how she starts out. So we're, I mean, we're, we're, we're running from, from, from the jump. For nearly two decades, I have held my tongue and even made excuses for certain events that traumatize me to this day. Joss Whedon abused his power on numerous occasions while working together on the sets of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel. Uh, from there, she goes on to describe uh, some, some chronic physical pain that she suffers to this day as a result of a stunt gone wrong on Buffy. Hmm. And she says that um, she believes Ray Fisher because she experienced Whedon's, quote, toxic behavior firsthand. And then uh, she goes on to give a specific example of the kind of behavior that she's accusing him of. She says, quote, at six months pregnant, I was asked to report to work at 1 a.m. after my doctor recommended shortening my work hours. 
due to long and physically demanding days and the emotional stress of having to defend my needs as a working pregnant woman, I began to experience Braxton Hicks contractions. It was clear to me that the 1 a.m. call time was retaliatory. So she's saying Joss Whedon was intentionally forcing her to work against her doctor's orders Jeez. in retaliation for her getting pregnant and that not being part of his plan. Uh, she said, she goes on to say back then I felt powerless and alone. And um, she says, despite the harassment, a part of me still sought his validation because you see Joss Whedon was, again, he was a man of power. He was the it guy in Hollywood at the time. Um, and then she would go on to conclude to say, uh, it has taken me so long to muster the courage to make this statement publicly. The gravity of it is not lost on me. As a single mother whose family livelihood is dependent on my craft, I'm scared. Despite my fear uh, about its impact on my future, I can no longer remain silent. This is overdue and necessary. It is time. So at that point, now Ray Fisher finally had a public ally. And then more dominoes started to drop because after Charisma Carpenter released her statement, Michelle Trachtenberg, who portrayed uh, Buffy Summers' younger sister, came out and also uh, she did not make specific accusations, but also said that uh, Whedon acted very inappropriately on set. So at this point, Joss Whedon had a new show coming out on HBO called The Nevers. He has been fired from that role, and his future is murky at best. Yeah, so it's not looking good for him. Obviously, you know, this. it seems to go beyond. I know we're in a different generation here, Trent, than you know, famous, um, difficult directors, right? That just demanded everything out of their performances. Stanley Kubrick was a perfectionist, yes. uh, wanted people to do hundreds of takes. Um, I know um, Roman Polanski was famous, obviously, for other reasons as well. Yeah, I, but- <laughs> I, I just saw Kate Winslet, as a matter of fact, uh, I can't remember if it was today or yesterday, but she publicly came out and said she regrets working with both Roman Polanski and Woody, uh, I'm sorry, Woody Allen, Woody, not Allen, Woody Harrelson. Right. Woody Harrelson's a great guy. Woody Allen, however, <laughs> is a creep. I mean, yeah. Roman Polanski, this is a guy who pleaded guilty, mind mm-hmm. you, of statutory rape of a 13-year-old child in 1977. He then fled the country and continued making movies. And when he was finally arrested in 2009, several bigwigs in Hollywood put out a, a, a signed petition asking for him to be released. Um, he even won an Academy yes. Award for Best Director decades after admitting to raping a 13-year-old. That's yeah. the kind of environment that Hollywood has been. I mean, everybody knows about Harvey Weinstein. Yes. Um, but yeah, I think it goes beyond, like I said, it's, it seems to go beyond you know demanding directors because d- directors are demanding. This is their vision. This is their yes. project. Um, so um, And yeah, we're, we're in a new age where that kind of stuff isn't going to fly. So while I don't ever wish bad things to happen to people unduly, um, and I'm not going to wish anything bad on Joss Sweden, but I hope that all the facts come out and whatever the facts are, uh, there's adequate justice um, for whoever is involved. Um, so, Graham, do you have anything else that you um, want to hear yeah, here? I do. So, okay, so this series, Joss, Joss Whedon obviously... Um, you know, direct the episode is created. It was also, there's a co-creator, David Greenwalt. Um, he also created the show Grimm, 
which I don't know if you watched Grimm. That ran for 122 episodes. I watched like the first season. It was a decent show, kind of similar to this a little bit with, um, you know, lots of different, um, you know, demons and mythical creatures, things like that. So I wanted to give uh, David Greenwalt a shout because he is also the co-creator on this. Okay, so with that in mind, Graham, it is time to put a bow on this episode. And let's take a look to our next episode, shall we? Yes. One of my favorite parts is getting some options to choose from. Um, I know we've gotten a fan choice in with Valentine. Trent, you got to pick last time, which I enjoyed, Angel. So let's see what's on the docket for the next episode of Body Count. All right. So first off, I'm going to run it back. I'm going to give you a second chance to go back and pick The Silence of the Lambs. Um, Now, this was a nominee last time, came up in second place. Although it is particularly worth noting, uh, it's back in the news again as CBS just released a spinoff series, Clarice. Yeah, so, which looks pretty good. Uh, so once again, The Silence of the Lambs is on the poll. Okay. Secondly, we're going to look at quite possibly the most uh, famous horror movie ever released in the month of March. It's a little film called Psycho. Ooh, Anthony Perkins. That is correct. Alfred Hitchcock? By none other than Alfred Hitchcock. I haven't seen that one in a while. So uh, that film was released in uh, March of 1960. Awesome. Classic, classic, classic horror film. And then finally, the third option. uh, It's frankly a movie that I wanted to see, never got around to it, so I'm throwing it out there. Um, (laughs) Released five years ago this month, uh, as I should say, the next episode will come out on um, March the 12th. Uh, So we will be into the month of March the next time we talk to you. Released five years ago uh, in March of 2016, The Belco Experiment. I don't know that one. So The Belco Experiment um, uh, uh, was written by James Gunn, of course, of uh guardians of the galaxy fame um starring uh a bunch of lesser known actors but also john c mcginley from scrubs and uh a certain cast member from guardians of the galaxy michael rooker um let me read you a quick synopsis of this just so you know uh what it's about the film follows 80 americans working abroad for a company named belco industries in bogota colombia One day after they arrive at work, they are locked inside the building and a mysterious voice announces that they have to start killing each other. Dude, that sounds dope. Also, it's Bogota, by the way. (laughs) What did I say? Bogota. Whatever. You were close. Um, And then if somebody comes and say it is Bogota, I'm going to be embarrassed. Dude, let's do it, man. Okay, so I know this is why I'm putting off Psycho in Silence of the Lambs. A, because Sound Slams is really long, and <laughs> that one might have to be like a two-parter because there's a lot to get through because it's like a two-and-a-half-hour-long film. Yes. Um, and Psycho is a classic, which I know we're going to get to eventually. Maybe Alfred Hitchcock's birthday. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll go through one of his films. Um, but yeah, I'm totally done with, with the Belco experiment because neither one of us have seen it, and I think that'll be fun for both of us to review watching something for the first time. All right, so there you go. The Belco Experiment. We will talk to you again on March 12th once again. In the meantime, like I said earlier, please let us know how big of an idiot we are. Let us know what we got <laughs> wrong. Uh, at Body Count Show on Instagram. 
Uh, Graham will tell you uh, everything you need to know about that, uh, as well as uh, keep you up to date with some cool artwork and stuff that he, he makes. Yeah, thanks, Trent. Um, yeah, absolutely. Follow us on Instagram at BodyCountShow, like Trent said. Uh, we'd love to hear from, from you guys. Comment, like, uh, share some of our posts. Um, also, I want to uh, just say I hope you guys liked Graham Reacts and Guesses What's Happening uh, in this episode. I had fun doing that, so hopefully you guys got a kick out of that. And, yeah, we'll see you guys in two weeks on Body Count when we review the Belco experiment. Thanks so much, Trent. All right, we'll see you guys later. Later.